It's the Hate Show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Vatabi Living Tombini. And I'm Shannon Nix. We are talking today about, of course, hate. It's the Hate Show. But we thought we would want to start by making sure we're on the same page about what we're talking about. If we're going to be talking about hate, we want to make sure that we are using the same definitions, that we have a similar understanding, or even if we're not using the same definitions, we have an understanding of the definitions that each of us are using. Mm -hmm. One of the things that contributes, I think, a lot to the discord that we see, the disagreements that people are having, the fights people are having, is that they don't often check to make sure that they are understanding what the other person actually means by the terminology that they're using. So we wanna make sure that we, in this conversation, understand what we mean when we're talking about hate. Uh, because as a concept, it can be defined a number of ways. And so we wanna to check that definition. So um, Shannon, you have Webster's, uh, yes. I think it is. You wanna go ahead and check that one out? Uh, yes, so it's saying that it is, uh, Miriam Webster, um, extreme dislike or disgust, intense hostility and aversion, usually deriving from fear, anger, or sense of injury. Um, ah. And then the second definition there is extreme dislike or disgust. Again, um, antipathy, loathing. Yeah, antipathy, comma, loathing. Yeah. Right. Okay, so it's extreme disgust. Mm -hmm. but what I like about that one is that it also talks about where it might arise from, mm -hmm. what might cause it. I like that too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I have the Oxford okay. uh, languages definition. It's from the Oxford English Dictionary, which is supposed to be the authority on the English language. Okay. And so it says to feel intense or passionate dislike, and in parentheses it says for, uh, well, dislike for, and then in parentheses it says someone, to have a strong aversion to, in parentheses it says something, and uh, to express strong dislike for, criticize or abuse, and uh, to have intense or passionate dislike. And then it also talks about denoting hostile actions motivated by intense dislike or prejudice. Okay, like that. Mm -hmm. So an example it gives is like a hate campaign. Okay. Okay, so it's describing that campaign. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I think that's really important about that, at least for me, mm -hmm. is that looking at the definition helps us to understand that hate is not an action in and of itself. Right. It's a feeling. Right. Hate is a feeling. Right. And so I wanted to look at the definition and have us talk about it because lately we've seen a lot of um, encouragement for people to join efforts to stamp out hate, basically. Right. Anti-hate campaign. Right. And I'll be honest, that drives me a little crazy. <laughs> Right. I've thought, thought some about this too. Right. Yeah. The war. Um, and, and I just used ableist language. I want to correct myself. Um, it uh, frustrates me greatly. Let's put it that way. Crazy um, is a word that I would like to avoid using in casual language. Right. Mm -hmm. So it, it frustrates me a lot because it's, it's sort of like when we talked about uh, social distancing, that was another phrase that kind of that just I couldn't <laughs> because it's not social distancing. It's physical distancing. Right. We needed to keep six feet apart. We needed to keep physical distance, try not to go visiting people and and that sort of thing. But that doesn't mean that we were to distance ourselves socially. In other words, it didn't mean that we were to stop talking to one another. Right. 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 Mm -hmm. It was physical distancing and that matters. And it matters to me because I think the accuracy of the term would have been helpful in people better understanding what they were supposed to do. Right. Right. How do you socially distance? Like really, what does that mean? So, you know, for me, it means I'm not going to be social. Right. I'm, I'm going to stop, you know, talking to people and reaching out and that sort of thing. 
Uh, and it, it doesn't tell people that they should maintain a physical distance, which right. is really what it was. Mm -hmm. So similarly, similarly, when it comes to addressing concerns people have about violence mm -hmm. you know, and violent acts, then to go after the thing that uh, inspires the acts mm -hmm. rather than the acts themselves, mm -hmm. to me seems to be particularly ineffective. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. What were you thinking about that? Well, I mean, I think that, yeah, we're going to, yeah, we're going to circle about back around this, I think a bit, because they, the talking about it being an action is one thing, but I think um, first I want to go back to talking about it as a feeling. And um, uh, I was looking at, and I probably will be referencing today, um, a few books by the author Timber Hawkeye. Um, he's most, I would say most well-known for his first book, which is Buddhist Boot Camp, which is an excellent book. And um, I had the privilege of meeting him um, a few months ago and going to a talk that he had in a book signing for his newer book. Um, so he has three books. I have them here. Um, but he also talks about, he doesn't use the word hate, but he does talk about um, anger, you know, and he does say that, that it's a, it's a feeling and not an emotion. And so like what he was, it kind of does stem from the Buddhist concept that, that when we attach ourselves to impermanent things, that will lead to anguish and suffering. And a feeling is in fact an impermanent thing. And so he speaks to the point that like feelings come and go and that's that's not good or bad in fact they can be quite useful and you can use anger and and even hatred to propel you into something positive to propel you into change to propel love like you can use that because it's not good or bad but he talks about the dangers of when that actually becomes an emotion because an emotion is when you are attached to the story of the feeling. And that was a quite interesting take on that, or I just heard him describe it in a way I hadn't really heard before. And he said that the problem or the danger with letting a feeling become an emotion, um, we can take those stories that we've attached to the feeling with us for years. Mm -hmm. And, and so it's just, I don't know, I, I really think that, that there's something to think about that in terms of attaching to it. I think that's a really kind of a big, you know, uh, avenue to explore. Um, and, and remembering that feelings in and of themselves aren't bad. So to try to get rid of or kind of like, now into what you were just talking about, like fighting hate, uh, a war on hate is still a war. It's still the feelings of hate, if that makes sense. Right, right. Yeah, it does. And you've, you're doing a great job of, of previewing some of the shows we have upcoming. I know, I um, love it. Is yeah. it a great? Yeah. So we do, we are looking to have guests on this podcast. And one of the guests that we do want to invite um, is, you said Timber? Timber Hawkeye. Timber Hawkeye, right? Yes. yes. So we definitely want to talk about um, what it means. What, what is the difference between a feeling and an emotion? Mm -hmm. And what happens when you do attach, you know, you, it, it becomes the emotion, and it is attached to a particular story. Okay. And then there's opportunity there to talk about the power of being able to choose your story. Right, right. So right. that's something that we have coming up. And then yeah. also, you alluded to um, talking about fighting hate, 
and having a war on hate mm -hmm. being sort of violence and hating itself. Right. Right. And so right. that too is a topic that we're going to cover uh, on the podcast going forward. So, you know, there's a couple of things there to look forward to. And then as we are talking about what do we mean when we're talking about hate, mm -hmm. it is about uh, the, the, that it's a feeling Mm -hmm. And then what I think we could spend some time really focusing on is what causes us then to try to keep people from feeling that feeling. Right. Right. So if we're going to be against hate, so, you know, against, uh, well, let me back up for a second, mm -hmm. because here's another pet peeve that I have, <laughs> the sort of grammar thing. And it is about people going out and saying, you know, we are against Asian hate <laughs> or, um, you know, uh, Islamophobia, or, well, I guess, what was it, or Jewish hate, mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, Islamophobia makes sense, mm -hmm. right? Anti-Semitism, that makes sense. Yeah. But anti, or I'm sorry, Jewish hate does not make sense. Mm -hmm. Asian hate does not make sense because when you use a word as a modifier right you're uh, describing the word that you're modifying in other words when you say asian hate it's like hateful asians exactly yeah it doesn't make sense it doesn't make sense i agree or, you know if you say jewish hate you know you're talking about hate that is of jewish nature mm -hmm. um and for some people, they might say, you know, it's not such a big deal. But for me, I see it as actually this sort of nefarious way in which systems, and particularly systems of oppression, continue to uh, keep themselves alive, to reassert themselves. Mm -hmm. So that when we stand up to address a systemic issue, if we fall into the mistake of naming things in an inaccurate way, mm -hmm. you know, when you name a thing, that's the thing that you are addressing. And so when we misname what we're looking to address, we miss the point. And then we wonder, why do we continue to see the same thing happening over and over again? Mm -hmm. uh, we're, you know, putting all this effort into addressing it and it doesn't seem to change. Mm -hmm. but we've got to be really careful about how we name things. I agree. So if we're yeah, calling we it, are, we are a labeling, 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 labeling people. That's what we right. are. We like to label. Well, we need to label. So, we? Yeah, we do. Because, you know, from a cognitive perspective, mm -hmm. we are bombarded, bombarded by trillions of bits of information and stimuli and that sort of thing all the time. Mm -hmm. And we have to be able to categorize things in order to make sense of them. We, we don't have the, the capacity, or at least we're not in a place where we can use a capacity to be individually aware of every single nuance of everything, mm -hmm. right? And so, you know, and this is something that we can talk about a little bit more on the show as well. Um, there are some really amazing neuroscientists who talk about that, about how, you know, the brain, we think in categories mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, we have shortcuts, that we use in order to define things quickly mm -hmm. um, because we just don't have time as human beings to sit and say, Oh, this is the 30, 350th, 350,000th, let's say definition or iteration of this particular thing. Mm -hmm. And we just have to be able to say danger, <laughs> right? Right. right. Or safe. Right. Uh, right. And so I'm not, I'm, I think we should be careful about how we label things, but then also uh, have, you know, rational awareness of the fact that this is the way the human brain fun functions. And also labels are based on your own experience sometimes, maybe not always, well, maybe always, but so um, another another example, I just I was thinking another thing from Timber Hawkeye's book was he used the example of 
you have a dog running towards you. You're out on the street. You have a dog running towards you. And he says, well, I happen to love dogs. So I'm like, yay, dog, come here. But he's like, if you've been attacked by a dog, you, your brain will instantly label that as danger, like you just said. Uh, but then he, he goes further and says, okay, well, let's take out, away the dog. Now let's say, you know, it's a dark-skinned person in a hoodie. Um, now let's say it's a soldier walking down and you have different ideas it, or he even said, you know, a doctor, it could like just that we label, um, but based on your own experience of that label, you may or may not be accurately describing, or, I mean, it is to you, it is still your truth. It is still accurate. Like you're saying, like you're. That's your survival. That is danger. And I even because I used to um, read and show dogs. And um, when my son was little, I used to worry about this when we would be walking, because like you just said about your brain not having time, like when I had a toddler and he would run, you know, 40 feet ahead of me down the sidewalk, I thought, what if a dog chase chases him? And I won't be close enough physically to grab him. I need like a code word. So <laughs> my poor child, I would practice just yelling, drop. <laughs> and I just wanted him to like, go down. Like, don't question me. That means something's coming for you. <laughs> just drop. And, um, and I think though, cause it's like what you said, like, I don't have time to describe whatever I'm labeling. Um, and so you're right. Our brains use like some hacks <laughs> to to get to get the message across more quickly. Um, and sometimes that serves us, and sometimes that doesn't serve us. Um, you know, I think, right? Well, yes, exactly. It serves us in our why we're doing it. It's serving us to some extent, or we wouldn't be doing it. I guess. Precisely. Yeah. yeah, you know, as uh, from an evolutionary standpoint, what works stays and what doesn't goes by the wayside, right? right. Mm -hmm. So the fact that this is so strong, it's, it's so strongly ingrained mm -hmm. within us means I think that it works really, really well. And uh, there are some um, great books and some authors of those great books that I would love for us to invite. Mm -hmm. um, I'm thinking about the book Thinking Fast and Slow. Then mm. there's a book, um, and I'm so sorry, I don't have the book in front of me, and I don't remember the name of the author of that book. I know some people are going to jump all over me for that. <laughs> <laughs> then there's um, Zoe Chance, and I just love her name, so I, you know, I remember her name. Mm -hmm. She's written a book called uh, Influences Your Superpower, mm. and it's in the same vein. Um, and then there's another book that I will mention and I would love to have this author on the show and I'm not gonna you know to to um surprise him right I, I I don't want to sort of hijack him on the show there's some stuff that he has said in his book uh that that I'm going to mention that I find rather troubling and mm -hmm. so I always put a little bit of an asterisk when I talk about the book mm -hmm. uh, to say that um you know, my mentioning the book doesn't mean a full hearted endorsement of the book at the moment because of this thing, but I'd love to talk with him about it mm -hmm. and, you know, get a better understanding of what he, why he made the choice that he did. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so again, here's a preface or, um, you know, a, a preview for a future show. Hopefully he'll come on, mm -hmm. but it's uh, Jonathan Haidt or Haidt, Haidt, H-A-I-D-T okay. <laughs> is how his last name is spelled. And the book is called The Righteous Mind. Okay. And it is a perfect foundation for this entire podcast. That's mm -hmm. exactly what he's talking about is how our beliefs are formed, mm -hmm. what makes people liberals and what makes people conservatives mm -hmm. and why is it that we have these clashes? Mm -hmm. So he wrote this book, I think just around the time that mm -hmm. president Obama was elected. Okay. Uh, is is when the book was either he was you know he was in the process of re researching it writing it he's a, a social anthropologist you know and has been at this for many many years mm -hmm. so in terms of the foundation of the book I really like it I think yeah. it explains an awful lot in a really great way but then there's something that he does around the middle of the book that I found to be um, very troubling <laughs> 
And so, you know, I'd love to talk with him about it. But the point of the matter is that, you know, we have these systems in our brains that some are quick thinking and some are allow us to take time to think things through and how they work. Uh, I think uh, Jonathan Haidt uses the imagery of a rider and an elephant, for example, you know, who is driving what happens in our minds uh, and in our behaviors when we're confronted by new things or by things that have scared us. Uh, and so there's, you know, a, a lot of um, stuff to go yeah, through. That's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I love but, how behavioral ties into that. Yeah, right. So what I wanted to come back to, though, is that you, you talk about how the way that each of us responds to something is based on our own experiences, right? Mm -hmm. And so you have a lot of experience with dogs, showing dogs, understanding temperament. Mm -hmm. um, I love that you had a sign on your house. What was the sign? That you <laughs> the sign said I can make it to the <laughs> I can make it to the the fence in what I was like ninety seconds. Can you or thirty seconds? Can no, you? No, it was more like to eight. <laughs> okay, eight seconds. Yeah. Well, right. actually, you know what? I have this is actually a great way to start because my dog story is a hate story. Hmm. Um, it began as a hate story, which I find really and a labeling story. Um, and I don't know that you know this, but you probably do. Um, so when I was looking, I was in college and I was looking, I was finally living on my own. I had a little apartment that was like right off of um, the, on the college grounds though. Um, but I had a yard and I wanted to get a dog and I was researching what kind of dog that I wanted to have and, you know, looking at boxers and I like bigger dogs Um and I said to one of my friends at the time, well, I know what kind of dog I'm not going to get. I'm not going to get a pit bull. And they were like, why? Have you been attacked by a pit bull? And I said, no. I said, I even said, I hate them. I said, I believe all pit bulls should be destroyed. Oh. And they said, that is a very hateful way of viewing something you should probably get a book and read on it and i thought and because i'm a nerd i thought well that's a good idea i will get a book on read and but my intention was to read to prove that i hated it it really wasn't to prove that i didn't hate it but when i got the book i learned like so many things we're going to talk about on this podcast i had a different understanding of the dog and i had an understanding that it's just a very tenacious dog and it's a tenacity that can be good or evil. It's a tenacity of wanting to please. So if that dog's owner tells it to do good, it will do good. And if it tells it to, to attack, it will attack because it so desperately wants to please the owner. It's actually, it's a really beautiful dog. And so I ended up getting my, my dog and my first dog that I began to show and train um, and I hired a trainer and he taught me everything that I knew and in fact when you buy a paper dog in dog shows you get to name a part of its papered name and my first dog's name was named after a Nine Inch Nail song Pretty Hate Machine. Wow. Um, I know and I think about that a lot because that dog ended up being the best dog I've ever had in my life. Mm -hmm. um, I trusted it with my whole heart. Mm -hmm. And speaking of hearts, when I went to go pick out the dog, it was a little puppy and I looked in a pile of puppies and they were black and white pit bulls. And he had a little heart on his hip. One of the, the shapes of his spots was a heart. And that dog taught me not to label things and to understand and to look with love. And I learned so much from that dog, so much. Um, but I think sometimes what would have happened had I not gotten that book and had I not met that dog. And we can use that same kind of thing in this podcast situation. Like what would happen if we 
didn't ask these questions and we didn't try to understand and we didn't try to find books and and mentors and people who are talking about these very subjects and and what would happen if we just let our misunderstandings and our fears of something guide our entire life's response to that thing and i was perfectly willing to verbally say without ever even have I never had even met a pit bull before I was very willing to say they should all be destroyed. I mean, what kind of nonsense is that? And it's embarrassing to me now because I cannot believe that I even was ever that closed minded really about anything. But it serves as a very, very real reminder in my own life to. Um, don't be so quick to judge. Right. Yeah. Don't be so quick to judge and take the time to learn. And yes. Right? Learn. Uh, and, and what you just said links directly to one thing I wanted to point about, point out about something you said a little bit earlier, mm -hmm. which was that our reactions to things are based on our own experiences. Yes. But I wanted to add to that, that they are also based on what we are taught by our communities, yes, you know, by our parents, by our families at school, media, um, you know, in our, the social culture and so yes. forth. Yes. You just said you had never met a pit bull. No, I think my only experience was on the news. And usually they'll have now that I'm a pit bull lover. Like usually they'll have a vicious dog image. It's not even always a pit bull. It'll be mm -hmm. a Rottweiler. It'll just be any kind of those bully breeds. Like it'll just be you just see teeth. You know, it'll be like another attack of a pit bull and blah, 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 blah. And, and that was my experience. So I just had heard the news and seen the imagery that probably wasn't even a pit bull in the first place. And how much, how, you know, how can I look at that now? I mean, look at how the news now and, and you see things that are not accurate, but you do not know that it's not accurate unless you take the time to actually look and take the time to actually learn and care about something that may not be directly in your environment, give yourself, if you feel the feeling of that much disdain for something, look more at it, understand it. It's yeah, huge. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I've also had the privilege of being a companion to a pit bull and what I discovered was that they are tremendously sensitive so sensitive highly yeah. emotional totally sensitive so um, I actually yeah. felt I felt really bad mm -hmm. for for our pit bull and, and I'm mentioning this now because it is something we'll talk about later as well we've got this whole list of show topics mm -hmm. that we're really excited about exploring but um <laughs> well, our the poor Pitbull was in, in my life during a time when I was going through my divorce. Mm. And he really, you know, sort of manifested the distress yeah. that was going on in the relationship. We had this couch from Ikea, and I discovered how Ikea couches are made. Um, their wood frame, at least the one that we had, was a wooden frame. And I know this because over the time of the divorce, the dog took the couch apart. Mm -hmm. He dismantled that couch. And I'm not talking about he dismantled the couch in a fit of rage, you know, that stereotypical stuff like you were saying that people have about how fit pit bulls work and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, it was a process. It was over a matter of months mm -hmm. that, that this happened. And I watched it happening and saw it as symbolic of the our marriage falling apart mm -hmm. you know and 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 that it was just you know pulling pulling apart just pulling apart uh and and uh, you know our dog manifested that mm -hmm. because of just how sensitive they are he always knew when i was feeling down or you know responded when i was feeling happy mm -hmm. um it does turn out and you can tell me this whether pit bulls really are one person dogs because uh, I thought that he was in the sense that he really was my ex-husband's dog. Mm -hmm. And I was a job for him. <laughs> mm -hmm. So he was very protective 
of me if I, you know, I was the one who walked him mainly. I, I fed him, walked him, mm -hmm. you know, took care of him. And so when we were walking, if somebody were approaching, he'd lean on me. Mm -hmm. right? Almost all big dogs are leaners. Yeah, it's just a big, that's a big dog thing. Okay, right. Yeah, so, I've had mastiffs and I have a giant schnauzer now. So like, you know, big dogs, they lean in, you know, that's their thing. And is that is that a protective response? Because he I only mean, did it when people were it's approaching. a dominant response. So yeah, they're saying, yeah, this that dog was saying, she's with me. Okay. Yeah. 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 Like, so I, I thought that he's with me. Don't mess with us. We're together. <laughs> so I did think that that was what was going on, but that's what I learned about having, and I too actually uh, was totally against having a pit bull completely. Yeah. It yeah. was my ex-husband who was insistent on a pit bull and I wanted to be accommodating. I always wanted to be accommodating, wanted to find ways to, sort of bridge the gap between what he wanted and I, what I wanted. And it turned out that, uh, you know, it, where I worked, we had an intranet and there was a woman who worked with me who was really big into pit bull rescue. Mm -hmm. And one day she happened to post a pit bull that was up for adoption that was paralyzed. Mm -hmm. He was paralyzed in the hind legs. And I thought, perfect. This is exactly what we need. You'll have a pit bull, but it's paralyzed. How much damage can a paralyzed pit bull do? And we lived in an apartment building that had an, escal or an escalator, an elevator, and we were looking into wheelchairs and we went and met the dog. Uh, he was only like two years old. So, you know, very lively. And, and the vet refused to put him down because, you know, he just felt he had so much life in him. He'd rather mm -hmm. that he go to somebody who was going to, uh, uh, you know, to take care of him. And this vet suggested that we take the dog to the animal hospital in Red Bank, New Jersey. Mm -hmm. And I, I want to take a moment to shout them out, just in case somebody is listening. If you have a pet, if you're in that area, you, you know, take your your pet to Red Bank. If you've got any thing serious going on, they were fantastic. And I remember going in there thinking, I would come here. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was really awesome. So we we took him to Red Bank. They uh, we're going to do exploratory surgery, but before they did it, they did an MRI. Mm -hmm. And I remember calling my mom and saying, oh my gosh, you know, we've had this expense here. They're doing an MRI. My mom's like, on the dog. <laughs> <laughs> they did an MRI and discovered that all he had was a bacterial infection. Mm. He just needed penicillin and wow. physical therapy. And about, you know, two months later, we had a fully functioning pit bull wow. <laughs> at home. And I'm thinking, oh, wow, this is not what I signed up for. Uh, you know, this is exactly what I was trying to avoid because I, too, had the stereotypes around, you know, what pit bulls are and, and, and the problems with pit bulls. And he turned out to be just the most darling and uh, just, you know, wonderful. It was I do count it as a privilege to have had time to be his companion. Mm, it's so cool. But it's it it is, you know, here's here's another example of that. Um it's a, a, an experience that I have a lot when I go to South Africa. Mm -hmm. And I can think of two experiences in particular. So there's when when I go to South Africa, I usually have reason to have to go to some kind of government office. Um, I'm involved in a years long campaign to try to get my birth certificate is this whole other thing that's going on. Mm -hmm. And so it means me going to the home affairs office and spending hours waiting online, you know, to be seen. And so I'll be sitting there in the waiting room and uh, a few times the person sitting next to me has been a white man. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I'm a person who I will talk to anybody. Mm -hmm. So I we strike up a conversation. He'll hear my accent, for example. Oh my gosh, you know, where are you from? And so I'll talk to him about how I, I was born in South Africa, but grew up in the United States. And then we just chat. We just talk. And I've had some of the most fun conversations, you know, in, in that circumstance. And we'll reach the end of the conversation. Maybe they get called or my family gets called and we have to leave. Mm -hmm. And I remember one guy in particular saying, I could never have imagined having a conversation like this with a black person. Like it was the first time he had had 
just a conversation. He said, I could imagine going and having coffee with you. And that was a revelation for him. Mm -hmm. So again, you know, getting past the stereotypes, mm -hmm. talking to people, understanding that, you know, stereotypes are a shortcut that, that we use, mm -hmm. but that any group of people is going to be far more complex and diverse and, and, and varied mm -hmm. than the stereotype is. Mm -hmm. And so to make a judgment about how you're going to approach an entire group of people right. on the basis of stereotype means that in many ways you're robbing yourself exactly of, you know, the potential of having just really wonderful connections with other people exactly yeah yeah oh i mean that kind of reminds me i think i i think i jotted down a quote um well maybe i didn't um <laughs> um yeah, maybe I didn't. <laughs> that re I mean, that did kind of remind. I won't. I won't go digging in all my things right now. But like I, I did. That just did remind me of. It's just a Buddhist quote. Um, uh, yeah, no, I'm not gonna do that. I got so many books right here. <laughs> I'll be distracted for the next. Um, like, hold on one second. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Um, I did write some quotes down, just not the particular one that I was thinking yeah. about. So, um, but, um. Yeah, and can I even paraphrase? But um, uh, I mean, it does go. It now I thought of a second quote, but just you know, the about the whole idea of being hateful towards someone else. You know, you feel like you're gonna hold coal to throw at them when really it's just burning you. You know, um, I mean, the quote was it was basically like you're. Oh, I can't, I can't even paraphrase. It's like trying to tell a joke. I'm so bad. I can't remember it word for word and it drives me bananas. Oh, I just pulled to it. See, see, sometimes you just have to seek to find. Okay. Um, it's a Buddha. Yeah, the Buddha. Um, you will not be punished for your anger. You will be punished by your anger. Hmm. Yeah. Yes. Also, also in Timber Hawkeye's book. Yes, yes. You yeah. will not be punished for your anger. You will be punished by your anger. Which is like the hot coal. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Mm -hmm. So coming back then to understanding the definition of hate mm -hmm. that we are working with, yes. we're understanding that it is about loathing, antipathy, a strong dislike for something. Yes. Um, I, I like the Webster's Dictionary also talking about the catalyst for for that, you know, that it might have come out of something that uh, you know has caused you harm or brought you to feel fear. Yeah, and there's actually a, a a third definition that I hadn't seen when I first. I only went to the second one. The third one is a systematic and especially politically exploited expression of hatred, which is oh. a crime motivated by bigotry and hate. Uh like hate crime. Right. right. Um, yeah. Right. But again, the point is that it's not the, it's hate is not the crime. Right. No. Hate is not the crime. Hate right. may be a motivator of a crime. Exactly. Right. But hate is not a crime. And I think what I'm really wanting to get across is for folks to understand that they have permission to feel hate. I agree. Because feelings are not bad. Feelings all have a purpose. So we're not trying to get rid of a feeling. You know, exactly. that's, that is not what you're trying to do. You're just not trying to let it turn into an emotion with a story that lasts day after day, year after year. Because our bodies don't know any different than if it, if we're still carrying around that hateful story that now has become an emotion that we are attached to right and then that can become the catalyst that. for destructive behavior exactly exactly and i think somewhere in there will be the conversation around trauma response as well like i think that definitely starts to play into that conversation i would exactly. say exactly mm -hmm. yeah Right. Um, I thought, I don't know if this is a good time, but I found an old journal of mine 
Mm -hmm. And um, I, I mentioned in our intro podcast that I, I've taken hate out of my vocabulary, except for maybe when I'm talking about an idea of something, but I, I, I try not to, I really try to use my words more in terms of just things I, I don't like, or I don't enjoy. Um, and I think actually before I read, I think that then also let's, I don't want to forget to say that the hate having some of those definitions that we both read, having like a dislike or disdain for something is one thing. It changes, at least for me, when we cross over into cruelty. There's something, if I tell you I hate onions, that's not cruelty. So there's hatred that has cruelty aligned or attached with it. And that to me is a separate conversation and flavor um, of that word. Um, because when I even read my, I just want to read this because it's somewhat amusing. Um, I wrote this a long time ago. I have a whole page of what I love and then a whole page of what I hate. Um, and I won't read the whole page, but some of them are kind of funny. Um, but they're not people. It, it's just, here they are. <laughs> we'll just read a few of them. I hate when people say one thing and do another. I hate carnations and cocker spaniels. So look, I'm still hating a dog. Uh, I hate ignorance and apathy. I hate raw onions and lima beans. I hate traffic and automated services. I hate loud, obnoxious, and unpredictable people. I hate liars or cheaters. I hate folding and putting away laundry. I hate cleaning the stove and doing all of the dishes. I hate hiking and walking for no reason. Like I don't mind hiking if I know that we're going to arrive somewhere. I don't want to just walk to walk. Um, I hate being around intoxicated people. I hate large crowds. I hate anything to do with pregnancy or newborns. <laughs> Boom. I hate being trapped physically, emotionally, or cornered. And I'll stop there. But mm -hmm. uh, in interesting. Uh, sure. And I, I wouldn't probably use the word hate now to describe most of those things. It's just things I, I don't enjoy. You know, but well, so let's let's delve into that just a little bit yeah. because yeah. my thought around that is, you know, I want I would want to explore whether you are censoring yourself and whether it's necessary to censor yourself. In other words, if we've just said that there's that it isn't wrong to feel hate, right? Wh why would you disallow yourself? from feeling hate or acknowledging I, that you, that you hate these things. Because I think once I really started to, I often, you'll probably on this podcast, listen to me say top shelf words. And I've been using that for a lot of years. It helps me remember that there's other words to use that may more adequately describe what I'm feeling because um, I don't want to just go to a top shelf word because I'm being lazy with my words, because now that I understand now to me, hate really is more reserved for things that are cruel. Cruelty to me is aligned with hatred and hate, hateful feelings. And so, and because, and we'll probably have a whole talk about this at some point too, because I have been in an abusive relationship um, emotionally and um, slightly physically um, when I, I was, was. I don't think it was slight, but okay. Well, I mean, I guess, you know, there's a spectrum of all the things. And so, yeah. but, and I do understand that as well. But um, I, it was just that it was in a foundation. It was in, I was a teenager. And, and so that person became my oppressor. And the closest thing that I understand to an oppressor and my trauma response and fear around that person made me hate them. And um, so I got a very 
just a more real to me understanding of what hatred is and how it does come from trauma and how it does come from harm. If once you've harmed me physically and emotionally or someone I love, my hate response is going to be different than if you serve me onions and I am upset about it. Those are on different levels. And so I need to choose more words. And sadly, in the English language, we just don't have that many words, like compared to other languages. I mean, there are a lot of languages that have 50 words for just love, you know, and, and, and all the different facets and, and probably for hate as well. I'm not sure, but I know for a fact for love, I know we, we, again, don't have maybe as many to choose from, but I do think it's kind of, I think that in our society, we do tend to just grab top shelf words and throw them out. And, you know, and when we are speaking like that, it is very sensational. And, um, you know, I don't know, I, I, I do just wonder if that's us also, I mean, I do think it's just being lazy, but I, you know, in, in vocabulary, but I, it also has to do with trauma and trauma bonding. And, um, you know, I just, I just think we could choose a little, a little better to understand what we're talking about, you know, but do I think it's bad to say I hate onions? No. Do I think it's, you know, it's not bad. I, I just think, but even onions, I, I, I used to hate onions and now I only hate raw onions. And so even in my hatred of, <laughs> of anything, I can still grow and change. And so it's not an absolute and, and I don't know. I get hung up on the cruelty issue. I really do. That's where I, that's where I have really um, made a shift there because um, like, I hate when people are cruel to other people. And, and to me, that, that is why I'm on this podcast. I mean, to me, understanding why we're yeah, why we do what we do, and also trying to understand people who who label things differently. I, I'm really curious about it, and and um, but in that understanding is we're trying to unravel that, you know, and and, and choose different words, mm -hmm. and understand that the words that we say matter, you know. Um, like how you said earlier about crazy, you know, I mean, I just being aware of words that fly out of our mouth and um, checking ourselves. We got to check ourselves sometimes. You know, you're, you're absolutely right. And thank you so much for diving into detail around that. Mm -hmm. What I am understanding based on what you've said is that perhaps hate is a word that can be reserved for, you know, particularly intense or, you know, particularly, um, yeah, intense situations. So for example, well, I mean, but I, I, I think you did pretty intensely hate onions. Um, <laughs> I did. <laughs> Actually, Shannon. It could ruin my day. Yeah, <laughs> I remember. I remember this to the point that I had thought to myself one day that if ever for some reason you're kidnapped and um, somebody's trying to impersonate you, I would just ask them, "Would you like onions on that? Like, you know, would you like?" And if they say yes, I know it's not Janet. <laughs> Impersonator. Right, exactly. So I have been well aware um, of your antipathy for onions. For, for a long time, but then there is, uh, you know, you're talking about using top shelf words. Mm -hmm. uh, I work in nonviolent communication, being able to use feeling words to, uh, you know, directly describe what one is feeling and understanding the nuance between, you know, the difference between uncomfortable and, you know, um, and, and afraid, for example. Yeah, exactly. There's a difference between feeling uncomfortable and feeling afraid. Yeah. And it is to our benefit when we have a strong and, and, and varied feelings vocabulary. And you're right, particularly in uh, the English language and then 
particularly in the United States, we're really not good at having a variety of feeling words. Um, I, in, in a, the work that I do, remember feeling especially concerned when it seemed to come down to, you know, and had people coming to me that they were upset about something. They said, I felt some kind of way about it. Now, I recognize that that is a phrase that is used to uh, signal or signify, you know, I, I was upset, right? But I, I felt so kind of, well, what kind of way was that? <laughs> you know? That is funny. That is funny. Right? Um, <laughs> so I thought, is this what, what we've come to? We, we don't we actually have words. I felt some kind of way. <laughs> so, you know, I, I am right on the same page with you. Mm-hmm. It is important that we have a wider variety of, yes. of words to choose from to more accurately describe what we are feeling yes. that go beyond hate. Yes, I agree. Right. Choose yeah. differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a mm-hmm. great, great point. Mm-hmm. Well, we hadn't decided how long this podcast is going to be. Right. Um, we're at the 50 minute mark. And I okay. think, you know, a comfortable hour would be good, especially once we start having uh, guests on the sh- on the podcast, yeah, right? yeah. going to fly by. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just wanted to draw attention to that. We're coming toward the hour ish mark, and you know, I'm wondering whether there's anything in particular you want to make sure gets said or heard or understood in this conversation that we're having. Um. <clears throat> Okay. Oh, sorry. There you go. Um, Yeah, I know. I saw um, it just, you know, technology. Not always our friend. Um, But when it is, it really is. Um, I think that just, I mean, yeah, I think leaving, leaving our listeners today just with, um, with, an inspired concept of, of, of choosing to express yourself, um, being more colorful with, you, you know, learn different words and, and to really try to think about um, when you are feeling something, uh, not to judge yourself, not to judge other people. Also remember that feelings come and go and that's perfectly natural and perfectly good and fine. And we need feelings and we love to feel all the feels of all the things. And there is no one feeling that is bad. And it's only bad when we take it into our body and hold it day after day after day. If somebody did something to you yesterday and you're still talking about it a year from now, you've attached yourself to that feeling and to the story of that emotion. And that gets dangerous um, for us and for society. And so if we can all be just a little bit more um, aware, conscious of what we're saying and words that we're using, and remember that we don't always, sometimes those shortcut words don't actually cut it, you know? And and so remembering, like, I mean, just even the list, I thought, well, I don't actually hate Cocker Spaniels. There's a story behind that. I don't actually hate carnations. The only reason why I hate carnations is because every time I went to a funeral, they were everywhere. And with the smell of them, to me, I associate it with death. Not that I hate a carnation. Mm -hmm. I hate being reminded of death when I'm looking at a flower. No, thank you. So I I think it's more interesting to know the root of the truth of why that word flew out. Mm -hmm. I think it's, I think it's cool to know, like, what's, what's the root? What's the story? Where did that come from? What fear are you actually masking? You know, what, what's actually happening there? I'm, I'm really interested, honestly. And that's why we're here. And I, I just think that, you know, we can't always, we can't always control our feelings, but we kind of can always control our emotions. You know, we can always say, I'm feeling this kind of way, 
but you can still control that you're being kind about how you're emoting. I can emote my feelings in a kind way, even if my feelings are angry or my feelings are hateful. I'm not emoting hatefulness. You know the difference? And so like you feel that difference. It's like, and it's okay to also preface something. Like I'm just feeling this kind of way. It'll pass. Like tell yourself, tell other people who might be interacting with you while you're going through an emotion. This too shall pass, you know? And you want it to pass. Like that's what a feeling should do, you know? Um, and leaving people just with that, planting that seed so that when you start to feel a feeling, um, just check yourself. If, yeah, like I said, if someone did you wrong last week and you're still telling everybody about it or you're maybe you're not telling anybody, but you're stewing about it, let, you know, let it pass. Don't hold on to it. Mm -hmm. It's burning you. It's not burning the other person. It's burning you. Mm -hmm. um, and really, really try to use your words to actually describe how you're feeling. Mm -hmm. right. That would be my hope for anyone listening today and um, and walking away from this conversation. Mm, amazing. Profound. Yes. 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 And, and I would add to that because there are folks, I'm sure, who are saying, you know, easy for you to say, right. Just pass, you know, right. um, this person hurt me right. in a material way right. that I'm still experiencing mm -hmm. um, that I might experience for the rest of my life. Right. And so I'm looking forward to a time when we can talk about the power of, and there are many ways to approach this, but the one that, that I know that has been most profoundly effective in my own life does come from nonviolent communication. Yes. And it is shifting from the feeling being the point, like the feeling being the destination, yes. uh, and then struggling to let go of the feeling. It's like, well, how do I let go of the feeling? How? What is the practical steps? What are the practical steps that I might take to be able to let go of the feeling? And what I've discovered is that looking at NVC, you know, the uh, one of the foundational uh, understandings is that your feelings are actually indicators. Yes. Of your needs. Yes. They're indicators of your needs. And when you're able to identify your needs on the basis of the feeling. So first it is important to be able to accurately name the feeling. Yes. So having a great feelings vocabulary is really helpful. Mm -hmm. And then once you can name the feeling, then you can say, what well, what need do I have? Right that is associated with or that is arising from well it's not that it's arising from this feeling the need happens mm -hmm. and then the, it, the the need gives rise to the feeling actually mm -hmm. right so you've got the stimulus and then you have the response right the feeling is the response yeah the mm -hmm. feeling is the response mm -hmm. and so when you are able to identify the stimulus then you can address the stimulus right right so right. i feel you know angry because my teacher um, refuse to acknowledge that mm -hmm. I got this particular question right on an exam, mm -hmm. right, is one that I'm dealing with a lot now, right now in, in the work that I do outside of what I'm doing here, right, mm -hmm. I work at university. Mm -hmm. And so I'll have students here coming in at the end of the semester, they've gotten their end of semester grades, and they're really upset about this. Well, I can't just tell them, you know, it, it, it is important for them to understand that the feeling is not going to last forever. Right. But that an effective way to ensure that the feeling is not going to last forever is to identify the need. I need to be seen for actually getting this thing right. I, I need justice, basically. Mm -hmm. And then I can talk with them about what is the process for uh, grieving your grade. Right. Who do you need to go to talk to? What steps do you need to take? What are the potential outcomes? And, you know, then people leave the conversation feeling greatly relieved. Right. They're not cornered. Like you said, they're not cornered. They're not stuck. Mm -hmm. They actually now have a an actionable path to take. Yeah. Addressing the need, the mm -hmm. stimulus. Yes. Um, and, and because, again, if you're just trying to get rid of the response, the stimulus is still there. You're right. Keep bugging you you know, and, until, uh, in, in many cases, until you actually address it. Yeah, the root. The root yeah. yeah, get into the root. Get to the root. 
Yeah. That's exactly what we want to be doing with the folks that we invite to be on the show to talk with them about their beliefs and their feelings and their values uh, and what what they give rise to in terms of their political activism and their social activism. Uh, You know, getting down to the root of that, I think, allows for us to have a much happier, much better connected, more effective society, you know, a place, a society in which we really all do want to live and that allows us to thrive. That's what we really are looking to encourage uh, and to help facilitate and helping folks to be able to connect with each other across their differences. And not labeling anything as right and wrong. I mean, I think that's also so much a part of, of, this conversation and carrying this conversation forward. Um, Like you said, from the very beginning, like not trying to eradicate hate, you know, trying to eradicate the actions that stem from hate. Mm -hmm. Um, So that, I think that, um, yeah, just that's really an important also takeaway for today. Perfect. Yeah. Awesome. Shannon, thank you so much as always for joining me in this conversation. It goes both ways. <laughs> and we'll see you in the next episode. All right. Be safe out there. You too. Love Take you. care.